let's pray as we come to the word this morning heavenly father as uh as we come to your word we ask that you would bless us lord that you would lead us that we may know your truth uh your truth in all things and we may be transformed and encouraged by your word this morning amen so we've been working through the story of the life of Joseph uh, through the book of Genesis uh, in, in chapter, this morning we're going to be in chapter 44 and the beginning of chapter 45. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, open, open up to Genesis chapter 44. <clears throat> As we've looked through this series on, on Joseph's life, we've seen time and again that despite Joseph's circumstances, that God is in control, that God has a plan. When he was thrown into a pit by his brothers, when he was sold into slavery, when from slavery he was thrown into prison, God had a plan and God remained in control. Even though from, from Joseph's perspective at times, there's little to no reason for him to have any hope in his future, any hope that, that God is in control, that God has a plan. It's hard for him to be able to see or know what God has in store. Yet Joseph remained faithful. Joseph remained trusting in God, that God has, is faithful, that he has been faithful, that he has a plan, a plan that is bigger than just Joseph's immediate situation. I've got to confess that this week has been an, an incredibly challenging week for me personally. I've been overwhelmingly exhausted. It's the result of a build-up over a long period of time of burning the candle at both ends. I've been trying to do perhaps too much, trying hard to keep doing all that's required of me here as a pastor, all, all that's required of me as a dad and a husband and desperately trying to do all that my physio wants me to do to recover from my back injury. It's a lot. It's a lot. Sometimes we find ourselves like that, just pressed in so many directions, trying to fit everything in. We try harder and harder until we just realize we can't anymore. Ever felt yourself, found yourself feeling a bit like that? Like you've been spread so thin stretched to the point of breaking like there's just nothing more that you can carry there's nothing more that you can do you feel like you just want to collapse in a heap and just complain to God that it's it's all just too much it's too hard that you're too tired and you've done everything you can but you just don't seem to be making any progress I want you to know that if you felt like that if you're feeling like that you're in good company you know, one of the things that I love about the Old Testament is it shows us that time and again, God's champions, God's heroes are broken. We've seen Joseph in this situation time and again. Uh, I've also many times talked about uh, Elijah after his moment on Mount Carmel where he confronted 450 prophets of Baal. The next day, he's confronted by a messenger from Jezebel. And he flees and he runs for his life, afraid. He gets as far as he can run, as far into the desert as he can go. 
and he does exactly this. He collapses and he says, God, it's all too hard. It's all too much. I can't even anymore. Maybe you felt like that. You feel exhausted. You're out of fresh ideas, different ways to try and do things, different ways to, to be a better parent, to, to help your kids grow and mature. You, you just reach that breaking point. You wonder, how can God possibly make anything good out of the broken pieces of my life? It feels like everything's just been pulled apart, torn to pieces, blown to smithereens. And you're like, how, how can you make anything good, anything productive out of this? Have you ever felt like that? Maybe even just a shade of that, a shadow of that. Knowing that life is getting the better of you. It takes great humility for us to separate ourselves from all of our baggage. All of our hurts, feeling hard done by. And to pursue God. To pursue His heart and to pursue His plan. It takes incredible humility. It doesn't mean that we ignore our hurt and our pain and our trials. It doesn't mean that we ignore our fatigue. It means that we need to prioritize God, to put God first, to stop making our focus, our pain and exhaustion, our hurt and our problems, and to focus on God. How often in exhaustion, when we've, when we've had enough of life, do we turn to our comforts of social media or, or switch on the TV just to escape for a moment instead of opening the Word and drawing in to the arms of God? We, we take refuge in our, our comfort rather than refuge in our God. It takes great humility to pursue God. It means that we need to put Him first to seek His plan and His heart. It means that we acknowledge that the things that are happening to us are unpleasant. Yes. But we are willing and we desire to surrender our current situation, our hardship and our loss, our loss of freedoms, our loss of comfort, even our loss of individual liberty, if that be necessary. And ask God, seek God, pursue God's heart with every further, with every measure of passion, with every breath and thought and prayer to know his good and perfect will. To find God's plan in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our misery and our exhaustion, in the heat of our own battle, to worship God. To truly follow God is not to wrestle with, with men or to wrestle with our problems. It is to encounter the heart of God in its fullness. To wrestle with God. To seek Him. To desire to see His plan. Even though we, we don't understand it. Even though we can't see it. To desire to see His plan fulfilled. How we deal with the source of our pain and our scars that we bear has a very real impact on the life that we live. It impacts the perspective that we have on the world around us, the, the perspective that we have on, on life as it is affecting us and the things that we are going through. How we trust in God 
hope in God and persevere in our circumstances, living out our faith, loving the lost, the broken, and the most desperately in need of God's love. How we deal with our situation, how we deal with our hurts and our pain, our exhaustion affects all of that. There, there are many things that cause us to be worried in life, to be exhausted in life, to reach that breaking point. Our work, relationships, finances, health, patterns of morality and differing values in our community. Indeed, Joseph faced all of these in perhaps worse ways, far worse ways than we ourselves could imagine in our own lives. But the real measure of his faith and walk with God comes in how he deals with all that has happened to him. This morning we're going to pick up Joseph's story in Genesis chapter 44. Last week we left off at the end of chapter 41 when Joseph had been put in charge of Egypt and he, as he oversaw Egypt's provisions throughout the seven years of plenty that God had foretold Pharaoh through his dream, we now pick up during the seven years of famine, about two years into that famine. Here in chapter 44, we find Joseph's brothers on their second trip to Egypt. <clears throat> this time they're accompanied by Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. On their first journey, without them knowing, Joseph set a test for them. He set a plot accusing his brothers of being spies. He told them that they had had to bring their younger brother, Benjamin, back to Egypt with them to ensure that he would return. He also kept captive Simeon, one of his brothers. He bound him and blindfolded him and kept him captive. Joseph told his brothers that if they did not return with Benjamin... They would not see his face again, meaning that they would not see Simeon anymore and they would not be able to buy any more provisions of grain. You ought to think about this from, from his brother's perspective. You see, they knew that life was hard. They knew that, that the land was not producing, but they had no idea how long it would last. Yet Joseph knew that what they were experiencing was only just the very beginning of this famine. He knew that they would need to come back again. So this test that Joseph uh, had set them, uh, uh, when they left to return to their father, Joseph placed their money back in their bags with all of their grain. They get to their father and, and they explain all that's happened and they're confused about having all the money back and they're worried about having all the money back and what that means. Because it might appear as though they hadn't paid for their things and, and it, might, it adds pressure to their, their return and how they're going to deal with that. And so after some time with great reluctance from Jacob, who we also saw see is also called Israel, and that's where the nation Israel gets their name, because the tribes of Israel come from the, the sons of Jacob. Uh, you, might, you might wonder if you look at a map of the tribes, um, there are two tribes. There's no tribe of Joseph, but there are two tribes, uh, one Manasseh and one Ephraim. Uh, they're the sons of Joseph, but there's no tribe of Levi and so Levi the Levites were uh, the priesthood 
amongst the nation and, and they were given a provision within each tribe. So they didn't have a plot of land themselves, but they had provisions made for them amongst the tribes. Uh, and the, Joseph got a double portion uh, for his sons in, in Manasseh and Ephraim. So something interesting there as you're looking, that it raises some questions. You think, well, hang on, there are 13 tribes here. Um, but Manasseh and Ephraim formed the, the one tribe of Joseph. All right, so we pick up in verse 44 of Genesis, chapter, uh, and, uh, sorry, chapter 44, verse 1 of Genesis. Then Joseph commanded the, the steward of his house, fill the men's sack with food, this is the second time, as much as they can carry, and put each money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the, the morning was light, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had gone a sh only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks? And by this he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. Here we see Joseph's second test for his brothers put into place. Again, this test is aimed at seeing the motives and attitudes of their hearts. He wasn't concerned with how well they could conduct themselves in his presence. He wanted to search deep into their hearts into their hidden agendas, into their motives, their desires. He wanted to know if his brothers, the brothers that had thrown him into the pit, the brothers that had sold him into slavery, that had caused him so much pain and hardship, he wanted to know if they had changed, if they were genuinely repentant for their actions towards him or if they were still the same hateful, selfish brothers he knew all those years ago. This is not unlike the test that God has laid out before us. It's not one that requires performance or perfection. God's know, God knows that we cannot reach that mark. But it is a test of repentance, of heart attitude. Are we willing to pursue God's heart, God's desires above our own sinful ones? Have we a genuine desire to leave behind our sinfulness and dwell in the righteousness of God through Jesus? This is what it means to repent, to turn away from our sins and turn towards God. This is the test of salvation. And this is the test we see Joseph putting before his brothers. I should note here that this is not a test of Joseph's, uh, that, note here that while this is a test of Joseph's brothers, their change of heart, it is not the model for forgiveness. It is not the model for forgiveness. We're going to look uh, in, in a short while at a, a series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to see that forgiveness is not something that God requires of us to give conditionally. Yet as we examine forgiveness, we see that God does not always provide forgiveness unconditionally. 
And Jesus, John 3, 16 to 18, tells us that, that Jesus came to redeem those who would believe, those who would repent and believe. There is a condition upon salvation, and that is to repent, to turn away from our sinfulness and turn towards God. Yet, as we will see uh, in the coming weeks, the requirement for us to forgive is about protecting and developing and growing and fostering our relationship with God. Because when when we withhold forgiveness, we harbor bitterness. And when we do that, we are unable to engage with the heart of God, God's compassionate and merciful heart. We are not God. We cannot exist and live in the same way he does. And so he lays it out for us. So, so we see here uh, Joseph's test of a repentant heart, but not the model for forgiveness. It's not an excuse to say, well, Joseph tested his brothers. And if, if they didn't pass the test, he wouldn't have forgiven them. That's not what this passage is about. So we pick up with Joseph's test about to be put into action in verse 6. When the servant overtook them, he spoke these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servant to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant and the rest of you shall be innocent. Notice the difference here. The requirement of Joseph's servant is different to what the the brothers had offered. Following Joseph's instructions, he would enslave the brother found with it, knowing that that would be Benjamin. And set the others free. In the same way that that this is testing their hearts from when they, they sold Joseph into slavery. They wanted to get rid of him so that the rest of them could be free of the favoritism their father showed him. Joseph presents them, packaged for them, Benjamin on a platter knowing that Benjamin would have, would have been treated with favor, being the only surviving son as far as, as far as his father's concerned, of his favored wife, Rachel, who passed away during childbirth, birthing Benjamin. So here we have Joseph has laid it on a platter. The test is set. The trap is set. Will the brothers stand the test? Will they fall into this trap? Verse 11, then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his sack and he searched beginning with the eldest, ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, 
what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilty, the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go, in, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ear and let not your anger burn against your servant for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set, I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord that the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then I said to your servants, unless your younger brother, youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again and buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down if our younger brother goes, uh, does not go with us. Then we will go down, for we cannot send a see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring me down, bring down my grey hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to you, your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in this boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of, our, of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame for my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. So now we find the fruit of Joseph's test. The first response of Joseph's brothers when they see that Benjamin is in the firing line is to tear their clothes, just as their father had done when he, told, uh, when he was told that Joseph had been torn apart by wild beasts. Instead of, of setting, uh, settling for Benjamin to become Joseph's servant, the brothers plead with Joseph to let him go with Judah even offering to take his place instead of selfish pride, the selfish pride that, that sought them to get rid of Joseph. They, Joseph sees now a change in their hearts for compassion towards their father. A love to protect their brother. We see... Uh, Joseph's response to all of this in chapter 45. 
Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him. When Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud. So the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Can you imagine that? For these last probably 15 to 17 years or more, thinking that your your brother, at best, if he survived all that he'd been through, was a slave. It is incomprehensible that here he would be the prince of Egypt, second only in authority to Pharaoh, with the authority that Pharaoh even yielded himself to Joseph. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are yet five years in which it will be, there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come. So that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Now your eyes see and your eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. We now see where these tests of Joseph were leading. There was more to the exact than exacting of, of revenge for Joseph, but a desire to be reunited, reconciled to his family. Joseph had reckoned with God's heart, wrestled with God's plan, despite all of his pain, all of his scars, all that he had been through. He surrendered that to God's plan, to God's desire to God's future and God's promises. When we look at where Joseph's position was, the world would say he was in a rightful place to exact recompense 
payment upon his brother, brothers for what they had done to him. Yet instead he shows them mercy and compassion. Instead of holding on to bitterness and harboring a hatred towards them, he saw God's hand at work, God's providential hand upon him to preserve not just himself, but the nations surrounding Egypt. To preserve the promise that, that God had given to Abraham to bless all the nations through his descendants. A, a, a promise that we see in part fulfilled through Joseph, but in full fulfilled through Jesus on the cross. So as we look to Joseph's story, we must ask ourselves when our life's story is written, when our days are counted, how do we want them to be measured and weighed? For all the people who have done good to us, what would we have for them? For all those that have wronged us, that have hurt us, what would we have done to them? If we weighed all things in our life and we could decide for how each person is treated, what would it look like? If we examine our hearts honestly and truthfully, would we yield to God's heart? Would we yield to God's compassion? Does God's plan feature in those who mistreat us? Does God's desire for mercy for them feature in our heart towards them, in our prayers for them. Joseph chose to look on his circumstances, not from his hurting, painful perspective, but he, he sought to look from God's plan, God's perspective, God's desire for the salvation of his people. Right at the end of his life, the great preacher and evangelist Charles Spurgeon said this. It was on December 31, 31st, 1891. We would have it so happen that when our life's history is written, whoever reads it will not think of us as self-made men, but as the handiwork of God in whom his grace is magnified. Not in us may men see the clay, but the potter's hand. We would have it so happen that when our life's history is written, whoever reads it will not think of us as self-made men, but as the handiwork of God in whom his grace is magnified. Not in us may men see the clay, but the potter's hand. This is exactly Joseph's heart. He wants his family to see and to know that it is God's honour. Not his own achievement that he rules over Egypt. He wants God's grace and God's mercy to be magnified. Isaiah 64 declares, But now, O Lord, you are our father and we are the clay. You are our potter. We are the work of your hand. 
when we reflect on the life of Joseph, the heights he attained, the success he achieved, he would not have us remember him for his own great achievements, but to see them wholly as the work of God, the outworking of God's plan. Joseph was willing to surrender his pain, to surrender his hurt, to surrender his trials for God's greater plan, to put God first, to seek God in every moment, in every situation, to desire God's plan above his own. The question for us today is the same. Are we willing to surrender our brokenness, our hurt, our pain, our exhaustion? And say, there go I, but for the grace of God. It's not an easy task. It's not a small thing to lay down the scars that have haunted us, that we've, we've carried with us over many, many years. It requires a deep wrestling with the heart of God. To be able to let that pain and let that hurt go. It's a deep desire to know God more, to know His heart and to surrender our pain and our hurt for His grace and His compassion, to surrender our desire for our future and our personal success for God's plan, the redemption of His creation, the saving of the lost. If that's your heart to go on that journey, and it's, it's a journey, it's not just a, a momentary decision, it's, it's a decision that we live with day and night for the rest of our life to continually lay down our burden and pursue God. If that is your desire, I invite you to pray with me this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have proven yourself time and again faithful you have shown yourself to be merciful and compassionate lord you know the depths of our pain you know the breadth of our hardship and the trials that we face you know the extent of our strength and our wisdom and how far we fall short lord this morning it is our desire to know you more It's our desire to to seek your face, to know your heart, to see your plan come into fruition in our lives in the same way you did for Joseph. Lord, we want to see your victory. We want to see your glory, your majesty, your righteousness. We want to see the lost become saved again. Lord, give us a burden. Break our hearts the same way your heart breaks for the lost. Lord, let us know what it is to take up our cross and follow you, we pray. Amen.